Welcome, Nick So, to the Wholesome Crypto Show. So happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. So everyone knows you as the director of ETH Staker and ETH Community of just all good in staking. And we rely on you on a bunch of resources and your team and the community. But we want to know how Nick So got into this position, how you got into this community. And I'd love to know, when what were you first doing before you ever even heard about Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything crypto related? Yeah, so I, before I ever heard about Bitcoin, I was in um, college. And um, so this, this I'm actually just going to start off with my whole crypto um, journey, Go which was it. in college, um, I bought some LSD. And um, the instructions that the guy gave to me about how to take the LSD didn't sound right because LSD is bioavailable, <laughs> so it shouldn't need any instructions. So I Googled, like, what maybe could this be? Because I don't want to take something that's not LSD. And uh, I read that there were, like, derivatives going around where I lived. Mm. And so I figured it was one of those derivatives. So I was like, okay, well, then how do I get something that is like verifiably good. How do I, do I need a test kit? Like how do I safely take drugs? <laughs> and um, It's important. Yeah, it, it actually really is. I like Arrowhead was a absolutely cherished um, resource for me at that time, because then you don't take too much of something and you know exactly what you're getting into and you know what the reactions are going to be. And you know how the, mm -hmm. the variability of reactions between other people, like it, it should be, Lots of people experiment and very few people experiment safely. So, yeah, I was I did a bunch of research on um, how I could find LSD safely. And going on Reddit, I found uh, something about like, oh, just buy it from Silk Road. And I was like, OK, what's this Silk Road thing? <laughs> so um, I bought Bitcoin um, to to uh, buy LSD on Silk Road. And I remember the first time that I bought Bitcoin. I went to a miner's house. He had advertised on local bitcoins and I went to his house and like, I felt really sketchy about it. That but, is sketchy. But the place, yeah. The, <laughs> the place I lived like wasn't a very sketchy area. And so I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to go to this guy's house. He lived in a tiny little apartment, but it was decked out with bitcoin stuff like at just bitcoin stuff everywhere he had his little yeah. six-year-old daughter in there who was like sitting at the table coloring and we sat down with our laptops and transferred bitcoin to my wallet um and his his six-year-old daughter made like a little certificate in glitter pens that said congratulations you have 100 bitcoin and i was like oh, cool now, now that's a painful first certificate for me <laughs> <laughs> here's a um, reminder of what you could have been <laughs> Yeah, especially because the guy, the guy was like, I mean, he was super wholesome. He was sitting there. He was like, look, you're doing a really good thing for yourself. You're setting yourself up for life. This is going to be like a turning point in your life. I'm so glad that I'm able to sell you this Bitcoin. And I was like, wow, you're a crazy person. <laughs> he was right the so, whole time. <laughs> He was right the whole time, and he was, like, being so wholesome about it, and he wanted to show me things. He showed me his little cassatious coin, um, and I oh, was wow. just a college kid who was like, you know I'm buying drugs with this, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got into crypto. Um, I actually ended up taking um, what I had left, and I donated it to Arrowhead because Arrowhead at some point um, announced that they were accepting crypto donations. And so I was like, oh, I think I have a few left in my Mt. Gox account. Um, so I donated like part of that to Arrowhead and left the rest of it in my Mapbox account. Could you tell our viewers uh, what Arrowhead is? Uh, um, Arrowhead is a um, like a crowd funded or a crowd uh, sourced um, drug education website. So it's like it's basically like a um, a more informal Wikipedia where you can it has like a. a a page for every drug and it talks about the chemistry of it, how it's made. It, like people submit like what their reactions were to it, what doses they took, where they got it, what it looked like, just mm -hmm. something. So somebody can go in informed on what they're taking. They're a super great resource. I think they might be a nonprofit. I'm not sure. Um, I don't even actually know where they're based. I was just like, I, I have used this resource a lot they're here. Helpful. So I'm, yeah, here's some Bitcoins worth 10 bucks. <laughs> Um, so I, I ignored, um, crypto for a while. Mt. Gox blew up and I heard that news, but I knew I had like a couple bucks in there. So it didn't really matter to me. Um, and I didn't even remember the account that I was using cause it was a Tor mail account. 
uh, mm. the email that I was using was a Tor mail account. When Bitcoin hit, I think it was a thousand dollars. My friend, uh, my friend messaged me and like showed me a screenshot and was like, "Hey, like Bitcoin just hit a thousand dollars. Isn't that the thing that you bought?" And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what am most I doing? expensive." <laughs> yeah, most um, expensive LSD ever. So, because uh, I think I bought it at like six dollars a pop or something like that. Um, but so I, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess this up again. Um, I need to go figure out what the next thing to buy is. So I went on, um, to look for a new exchange and I found a sketchy Russian exchange called BTC dash E. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen them. Yeah. (laughs) Put some money on it and bought Whatever was on there, I I did not. I did zero research. I was just like, cool, whatever this is, I'm gonna buy some. I think I bought some. I think I bought like two or three coins. Um, and then I left it alone. Six months later, I come back and I'm like, I wonder how my cryptocurrency is doing. And it was doing really badly. And so I was like, you know what? I better do some research about what I bought. Turns out I had bought Russian rubles. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have any real coins. <laughs> I didn't even buy a cryptocurrency. I bought I bought fiat <laughs> currency. <laughs> Russian fiat. Yeah. And then uh I bought some Litecoin after that because that was really the only other serious like thing in the yeah. space besides Bitcoin at that point. There were a couple of things, but ICOs hadn't happened yet. And so mm-hmm. um I bought that and then I completely missed ETH launching, um, and then once it did launch, I went and bought some more on BTCE, and then I still have never had a self-custody wallet at this point, and BTCE rugs. Uh, and, um, <laughs> my heart is hurting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the second exchange that um, had rugged at this point. So I was like, oh, I need to figure out the self-custodied wallet thing. But very shortly afterwards, Bitcoin E came back and it said, if you leave your money in our exchange, you can have like you'll start vesting what your balance was. But if you take it out, you only get like I think it was like 40 percent of your balance. And I was like, what could go wrong? I'm going to leave it in here. So I left it in there and it rugged again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I learned it, my lessons it's too. Great. It's okay. Uh, no, nah, this is not a judgment. <laughs> this is an OG story of learning your lessons. So please, yeah, teach you us. got it. Yeah, like I lost, I lost, I learned my lessons early. Like I'm, I'm hopefully mostly done learning these like very idiotic move lessons. Hopefully, <laughs> um, everybody's got to go through it. It's like hazing. <laughs> I feel like yeah, hopefully it'll it's happen like, less and less. I feel like that was like a little bit of NFT. I, I learned a little bit during the NFT craze, like I'll buy one or two like small time NFTs and they're worth nothing now. So it's like, all right, that's what my <laughs> lesson was. Like, I know that it can go really bad really quickly. So I'm just going to invest like maybe a hundred bucks into it. And that's it. Like gambling at a casino type that type of stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I bought some, um, ETH. And then at that point, um, I was sort of watching it and I was doing a little bit of research and I stopped paying attention for a little while. Uh, the ICO craze happened. I, of course I started paying attention as it was like veering into the bull market because now I have Ethereum and I'm trying to figure out, like trying to get my bearings. Um, but at this point I was in graduate school and I was paying a lot of attention to, uh, my studies and, there was like a three week period, I think in like 2017, 2018, where I was like, I'm a trader and I traded. And it was like, after three weeks, I was like, I am not a trader. <laughs> I hate this. That's how I feel. It's so stressful. I, I remember sitting there during a lab meeting one time and we're all like going over our current results and sharing with each other. And I'm sitting there with charts open, like, trying to sell at the right time and my advisor is like what are you doing and i was like hold on hold on <laughs> i'm gonna get rich let me just do this i mean that's for me too like i like 2017 i was like oh i'm gonna trade and make a bunch of money like all the other people do and yeah it's worse every time i trade it's a loss it's a it's a 
net loss for me. And I need to, I was like, all right, I'm done trading. I'm just going to buy whenever I can and hold. And I don't care what happens in the market anymore. This is time to refocus my mind into like, oh, this is investing for the technology of the future, not for fiat dollars. Yeah. And I even when you do win, even when you're up, like when I'm up, I just feel this anxiety about like, okay, now I'm up. I have to stay up. I cannot go back into like being down. And I never even traded with leverage or anything like that. Like that, yeah. I can't imagine the amount of anxiety that comes with that. I don't know how people do it, but it's a numbers game to some people. Yeah, for sure. Like everybody else during the, the 2018 to 2020 bear market, I completely dropped out. I missed all of DeFi summer. Um, I came back as the bear market or as the bull market out of DeFi summer was coming back because my dad kept texting me and was like, yo, you know that ETH we bought in 2017, 2018, can you sell it? And I was like, no, <laughs> this is a bad time for that. Um, yeah, this is but then as he like was texting me, which is always my sign of like, whatever he's asking me to do, it's the wrong time to do it. Um, my, which is funny because my mom is the exact opposite. My mom has like a really good intuition for when to buy and sell. So my dad is texting me on one side, like, Hey, can you sell ETH? And my mom is texting me on the other side, like, here's $200. Can you buy some ETH? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> mom. <laughs> yeah. So then I started looking back into it. I went looking for the ETH trader subreddit and I was like, where did the ETH trader subreddit go? Like, well, why is this, why is this dead? Where is the daily? Um, followed it over to ETH Finance. I also missed all of that drama. And I started seeing a lot of stuff about staking. And I kept seeing this magical number 32. And I was like, what is this? I want to know what this is. So I asked a lot of questions. Um, I did my own uh, deposit. And it was right after Genesis. I think this will forever be... Um, Something that I'm, <laughs> I feel terrible. I like I hate myself for, but I deposited um, like two months after after Genesis, and so mm -hmm. I'll never I'll never have that Poe app. That's <laughs> um, uh, all right. Maybe you can, maybe then, someone else could get it for you. Yeah, steal it from you. <laughs> I'll just I'll buy it off of OpenSea. Just buy it. <laughs> um, that would feel so wrong. That would feel so wrong. Yeah. When you do something like that, when you set up a validator, I feel like you it's such a like a technical endeavor. And I'm not like a super technical person. I don't know how to program the most technical that I ever was like my when I went to college, uh, when I went to undergrad, my dad bought me a laptop and it was I, I did not want a Windows laptop. And so he was like, you know, what? it's fine. Let's let's put Linux on it. And I was like, OK. So uh, he set me up with an Ubuntu laptop and I spent all of college sitting there in class with people going, oh, I didn't know you code. And I was like, I just am trying to get this program to work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go. I don't want to, but I have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't code at all. I'm just copying and pasting things off the Internet, trying to get That's Microsoft coding. Word you to did work. It. <laughs> That's exactly what coding yeah. is nowadays. Yeah. So he like I feel like my my dad's decision to give me a Ubuntu computer and like we had Ubuntu we had Linux computers as I was growing up because he had like I remember when we were growing up our family computer when I was I don't remember how old it had Red Hat on it and mm -hmm. um, our fam our family computer when I was really little like ten or eleven. It wasn't actually even a family computer. It was a computer. It was an old computer in the garage that my dad had not thrown away and that I had figured out how to turn on. And it had MS-DOS like 3.2 on it. And so I, I think that's all command line. And so I remember like um, creating little text documents with it and trying to like find it afterwards. Um, and so like my dad's in IT. This is, this is what he does. Like yeah. a little bit of it rubbed off on me just enough to make me... When when staking came around, I was like, I feel like I could figure this out. So all in all, like when that all finished, when I had set up a validator, I was very proud of myself. And so I continued going to the eStaker subreddit, especially because the eStaker uh, motto is um, 
welcoming first, uh, knowledgeable second, which means that anybody who comes in there with a question doesn't get the typical computer science response, which is, man, you're an idiot. Like, just do it this way. I cannot believe you didn't, like, figure that out by mm -hmm. yourself. Like, the computer science and tech bro, not even tech bro, the computer science and tech nerd scene is sometimes so hostile towards newcomers. And the eStaker subreddit was exactly the opposite of that. And so I really liked mm -hmm. that. And so I kept I kept going there and answering other people's questions until at some point Superfiz messaged me and was like, hey, I love that you're answering everybody's questions here. Do you want to be a moderator here? And I was like, hell yes, I want to be yeah. a moderator. And I was, <laughs> I was so stoked. I was, in fact, I was so stoked that Superfiz messaged me back after a few days and was like, are you, I don't. I don't know if like you're conf this isn't a moderator position for e-finance. This is a moderator position for e-staker. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm stoked. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Okay, that's why not? Um, why not? Yeah, so I, I moderated there for a little while. I think that I moderated there for like half a year to a year um, before my job in environmental science became untenable because of COVID. Mm. Um, I worked for uh, a program that was a joint program between federal government and state government. And the federal government and state government could not agree on what their pro COVID protocols were. Yeah. And a large part of my job was these periods of time where we would work 80 hours a week. And um, we could not do those, uh, those periods of time because the government could not agree on its COVID protocol. And so we, I lost out on a lot of wages and my um, salary ended up going down like almost 20% for like two and a half years. And just as a result of missing that, the, missing those wages. And I couldn't afford to live where I was living anymore. Like the, the place that I was is one of the most expensive places in the U S I told them like, I actually, we had these, we had these in-house programs and I told them, you know what? We need these in-house programs updated. They're written in visual basic. They only work on windows seven computers. And the guy who wrote them is like 90 years old now and is not going to rewrite our, our programs and yeah. they need to be rewritten in something like Python. So how about this job pays for me? Like, because they wouldn't hire a programmer for some reason. We kept telling them like, we need a programmer. We need someone yes. to like translate these things. And they were like, oh, we can't afford another person. So I was like, you know what? Why don't you pay for me to go to this coding boot camp and I will figure it out. These are relatively simple programs. I will figure out how to translate these. Um, and my boss was like, and I like came up with this whole proposal. I found the coding boot camp I wanted to go to. I showed him the amount that it was going to cost. I said, I will cover a portion of this. And my boss just was like, nah, that's not happening. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to this coding boot camp. <laughs> so I quit. <laughs> Good for you. Hell yeah. Yeah, it worked out really well because all of our, my, my whole team um, and I were getting fed up with all of this. And so we sort of all three of us, three of us quit at the same time and in all, all citing the same management issues, the same um, reasons for quitting. And then I put it out there that I was now jobless and going to a coding boot camp. And um, Colfax from eSticker reached out to me and was like, I am starting a company. Do you want to come work for me it's a crypto company and i just i leapt on it i was like yes absolutely yes. anything that gets my foot into the door in the crypto world hell yeah colfax crypt, is awesome uh, colfax, too yeah yeah colfax also is part of eStaker. yeah i met colfax and he was on this uh show too when he was doing gitpo app and that was a lot of a lot of fun learning about him such a crazy story yeah, to him sure. he's like chef and like also coder but also does crypto and then i'm like you have a lot of skills. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. I, I love one of my favorite things about crypto is that people come from like vastly different um, industries. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're only seeing it just now where people like graduate in marketing and then they try to get a job in crypto marketing and they like go sort of the traditional route of like trying to um, build their resume up into like a traditional looking job 
but even like two, three years ago and like largely still now it's people who are just like, I was a ER doctor and I just was really into Ethereum. So I quit my job and decided to find my way into crypto. Like that was, that was Paul Rackrow from Ethereum.org story. He was a what's, doctor. <laughs> what's nuts too is like, now I'm going to like blockchain events in the Boston area and I'm meeting college students or younger kids who are doing an internship at crypto companies, but they seem bored. They're like, oh yeah, I'm just, it's like becoming so almost normal, normalized. Like, oh yeah, working in crypto. I'm like, working in crypto, do you not understand what you're doing? Like, I just want to shake the kid. Like you're doing an amazing, awesome thing. Like being in a crypto, any crypto company, like trying to change the way we behave as a society to both in technology sense. And I guess it's it, good yeah. that it's becoming normalized, but also, ah, <laughs> you don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's good that- it's going to be more and more like that as time goes on. This is going to, like, I'm reading, uh, well, I read a really good book um, that was recommended to me by um, Trent Van Epps. It's called The Master Switch. It's Ooh. super good. I recommend everybody read it. Um, it's about information empires, and it just talks about how, like, every new industry that comes up starts as, like, this, like, weird hobbyist uh thing that happens out of people's garages and like the industry the the industry that it it sort of will disrupt is like you know nothing like we big fancy suits know what we're doing stay out of this and then once it becomes apparent that it's going to be the future the big fancy industry finds a way or at least tries to find a way to swoop in and steal it and then uh, Mm um that that industry that new burgeoning industry it becomes the baddies it's gonna happen with yeah it's gonna happen with crypto like it's it's definitely gonna happen crypto is gonna become so normalized it's gonna be like working at google because working at google at some point during the early 2000s was also like oh you're working for this new weird startup thing like because you're so cool weird and yeah nerdy and edgy and like are you sure that's gonna work out do you sure you don't want to work for a more traditional company with more um stability and now it's the baddies (laughs) yeah and that's like i mean it's sort of happening a little bit in crypto it's like a flavor of that when you're like working for i guess an l1 that's not representing crypto in its finest i'm like oh you're working for that that chain like oh yeah why but it's like hard not to um it's like it's like it's kind of happened with bitcoiners and like Ether, I guess some ETH maxis, and then it's going to Solana, and then it's like Cardano. It's like everyone's getting hit by this like debate, and I'm like, oh, I mean, everyone has a point in their own context, but it's hard to have a consensus of the overall mission of crypto, which I feel like was really apparent back in the day, in like 2013, when there was like yeah, Bitcoin as the sure. main actor, where everyone's saying, yeah, Bitcoin is going to change the future, and crypto as a whole is going to change the future and no one was like shitting on litecoin for existing they're just like oh it's a different different flavor it's cool whatever but you know there was lots of shitting on litecoin (laughs) there was but it's not like it's not as bad as today i feel like it's so ruthless now and it's because much more lucrative yeah and i guess that's what happens when there are actual um like litecoin was never gonna displace bitcoin and everybody knew it um it was like a hope that it would come up. Whereas like there are actual contenders now and there, there, I mean, in large part, like Ethereum has already displaced Bitcoin as sort of like the, the new tech. And so that's what everybody's building on. Whenever somebody says that they are, they even hold Bitcoin. I, I like my standard response to that is, Oh, are you building on Bitcoin? Because no one ever is. <laughs> yeah. So for the wizards, um, which I'm kind of happy for, but. We'll see how that turns out. Yes, I I need to like, I mean, I say I need to, but I, I really don't have the energy. Um, But I, I kind of wish that I was a little bit, yeah, more knowledgeable about what was happening in other blockchains, because if Ethereum ever becomes like the one that's not relevant anymore, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> quickly. You quickly. And now it's becoming another war between different chains and whose chain's bigger and just figuring out if 
is it going to be one chain to rule it all or is are we going to be able to live in a society where there's multiple chains that can live cohesively cohesively together or not yeah and like i i have told several people who like that there are people who are paying attention to solana for some reason and i've told them like hey if you ever actually see anything that's like really interesting that's going on over there and it's not just narrative about like who's winning and like who's going to get who's going to be more scalable and who's going to be cheaper like if there's actually anything exciting happening over there like let me know because at this point i have muted solana like i i don't want to hear anything about solana i am solely focused on ethereum staking and educating ethereum stakers and it used to be the case like back in 2017 2018 that when I would Google stuff about Ethereum, I could pretty much catch up on the entire space in one day. And like, mm-hmm. I could, they had the, uh, do you remember the little charts that were in 2017, 2018? It was like the Ethereum ecosystem. And they like had every single project that was building on Ethereum in that thing. And like a lot of them were dead projects, but it was just like people trying to convince you like stuff is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the chart, but I do remember, yeah, like, Everyone's showing, I think we have some of those now, but yeah, how many projects are being built on Ethereum and it is pretty nuts now. You can't, I can't keep up. I, I need other people to help me out with this one because it's just, it's too much. It's, it's, it's a good thing, but it's too damn much. Yeah. But keep I it going, can, guys. I can keep hardly, <laughs> yeah. And I've actually even, so at some point I had to narrow my, my scope and I was like, look, I, I pay attention to staking stuff. Like I am not going to pay attention to whatever's happening in the L2 space. I just don't have the bandwidth for that. And lately it's kind of felt like, you know what? I am paying attention to solo staking stuff. Cause people will come to me and they'll be like, Oh, you, you run e-staker. Like, so what do you think of this new um, liquid staking protocol? And I'm like, not only have I never even heard of that thing, but like, that's also not my main thing, because my main thing is to support solo stakers. And like, yes, maybe that that might be like semi decentralizing for the um, for the space because they come in, they take market share from Lido and Coinbase or and whoever else is like cornering the market on people who are staking one or two ETH. But like the thing that I want to do is create new node operators and mm-hmm. liquid staking protocols um, don't necessarily do that. So. I even had to narrow my scope within staking <laughs> recently. And I'm sure that like there'll be a point where I have to narrow my scope further. It's natural. That that's why that you we're have, doing great. That's why you have like that. I guess um, everyone is a subject matter ex- expert in that field. So you have that solo staking taken care of to what it is now. And then, you know, I'm sure you have a big team of people who are more focused on liquid staking and L2s and then, just rocket pool just stake wise just just diva and then it just it's just interesting to see on how big and how many spots are available for people to like work in this industry and how important it is to be specialized especially now because you can't be a specialist in ethereum you just it's too too big now and you can't be a specialist in bitcoin itself either because that's pretty big too but people quite like to claim to be and that's when the experts come in and start shooting you know holes in the narratives of like no it's not just like that it's a lot bigger of a context i think it's really funny like being in crypto has sort of made me distrust large newspapers because when i worked in environmental science i like rarely saw um something in my industry quoted in a newspaper or something like that but when i did it was someone halfway across the country that i was that like I had no interaction with it. I was like, yeah, that name sounds familiar. That's probably a good source. But now that I'm in crypto and it's like a hot topic to cover, sometimes I'll see the wall street journal or like Forbes quote someone. And I'm like, you are quoting a crypto Twitter influencer who knows nothing. Like where are you finding these sources? And like, if, if that's your person that you quoted, how wrong is the rest of the stuff in these, in this article? It's all about pushing their own agenda. It's, I mean, it's what most people do, right? It's, it's a natural human instinct to push your own agenda and you find whatever biases agree with you or help your cause, which is sad. It's just not an open-minded way to collaborate and think and produce. Yeah. And it's also just like, it's a representation of the, of the main character, um, 
thing that we have going on in crypto Twitter and I think in the larger financial space in general, where we love to like worship someone who seems like they know what's going on. Um, because mm-hmm. most people, nine, not most people, like 99.999% of people have no idea what they're doing. And we're looking for one person who like has vision, who knows what they're doing, who just like has a handle on exactly what they want to see come out of the world and how to accomplish that. And there are people who just have have honed into that desire and their arrogance just allows them to fill that hole for people, even though they're clearly not that person. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think that anybody who was familiar, every, anybody who was like smart and not desperate in, in crypto Twitter, like watching what's going on, like knew that Do Kwan was full of shit and knew that he was like, <laughs> he didn't actually know. He just had a lot of arrogance. Um, and I think that, I, I just I wish I knew how to how to make like reporters and crypto Twitter and the larger ecosystem give more voice and give more credence to mm-hmm. wholesome people, people who know what they're doing and maybe aren't so loud. And like that not being loud thing is a problem because the it's less you Yeah, the less you say, the less people have to like glom on to. So. Um, people who sit on crypto Twitter literally 24 hours a day just sitting there tweeting, not building anything, are the people who end up getting listened to. And that's like when I was at the presidential forum that Coinbase and Standard Crypto hosted, it was interesting hearing these politicians speak because deep down I'm like, have you ever done anything on Ethereum or Bitcoin? You might have bought, you know, you probably have some, some actual crypto in your portfolio, but like, have you built anything on it? Have you tried to like, really read any documentation on Ethereum? Have you like talked to any of the builders in the space? The answer is probably no, but it's like, like you said, it's, it's too much for one person to bear a full understanding of the space. The one thing I did appreciate is they understand that it's a technical technological revolution and innovation that needs to be brought into America. That's what they said. I hope it's true. And I guess having that and hopefully them appointing someone who is an expert and is an innovator in that space can help bring that into today's policies. I mean, that's why I'm like, like, I'm so happy for Coinbase because they are pushing that agenda. They are really pushing that in in political sense of we need crypto to be in America. But yeah, it's, it is tough because we never, that's like the whole point of crypto, right? Is like, stop trying to trust and verify. So we live in a society of a lot of trust and I think our trust has been broken way too many times. And now we're like, all right, I don't want to trust anybody. Just verify it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what the system is supposed to enable. I, I hope that that's where we go because um, historically new technology like this gets, gets sort of shoved into a trusted entity. And then they say, Oh, we're using this and we're using it to make the world better. And then we just revert to like, trusting the trusted entity, the trusting the new trusted entity. Like yeah. I, 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 I love what Coinbase is doing. I'm so stoked about them, but I think that we always need to approach them with the same skepticism that we've always approached, not always, that we have in the past few years approached any centralized entity because any centralized entity is the thing that created this whole problem in the first place uh, is, is that centralized system. And a company a company's ethos really comes from like people at the top, people at the top set the tone of the, of the company. And I think Brian Armstrong is setting a really strong tone. Um, I think that he should stop venturing into politics on Twitter because (laughs) I think it, it kind of destroys part of what he's building. Um, As long as he's at the helm, I think that Coinbase will be great, but they're, there could be a time, there likely will be a time when Coinbase becomes such a powerful entity that, and there's like so much bureaucracy in it that he sort of loses his footing. I'm Tim, uh, not Tim, uh, what's his face? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs yeah. at Apple was pushed out um, and that was like his yeah. company. I mean, he, he pushed out Steve Wozniak to begin with. And so there can be a shift in culture that you don't even notice. And you, that, that brand is still trusted 
And so you continue to trust that brand, even though it no longer deserves it. And so I think that we always need to come at Coinbase with the same skepticism that we come um, at any centralized entity with. I actually wanted to ask you, I saw that picture. What, so what was the event that you went to? So Stand With Crypto hosted a presidential forum in New Hampshire. And Coinbase, I think, uh, also supported Stand With Crypto. Um, and they had three political leaders or politicians, uh, Asa Hutchinson, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Dean Phillips. And there was they just each gave their little talk and had a little moderation uh, question and answer with, I guess, in front of the crowd. And then, yeah, that was fun. I mean, it was interesting hearing them just, it was mostly about crypto. It wasn't like every other topic, which I'm sure... There's a lot of things we can point at in a politician, but I was just, yeah, curious to hear what they have to say. And the Boston Dow community all like went there too. So being part of Boston Dow nice. was a fun, fun event. I'm, I'm always like, I wanted, my uncle had um, a dinner uh, like a couple years ago where a house representative from Texas was going there. And I went because I really wanted to ask, he like is... Uh, this house representative is a voice in um, crypto regulation. And I really wanted to ask him, like, I kind of just wanted to suss out what he knew about crypto. I know what his stance is, but I wanted to talk to him face to face to ask him a couple of questions to figure out, like, do you actually know anything about crypto? <laughs> um, and like his his whole thing is that he's against stable coins or um, not stable coins, um, CBDCs, which is mm -hmm. a totally fine. And like, I support, I support that stance, but like, if you're talking about crypto at all, I just, I just, I'm curious how, how many of those representatives fundamentally understand what crypto is. Um, and so I'm, it sounds like a really cool um, event to go to, to be able to like talk to them face to face and sort of get a sense of yeah. like, what do you understand about crypto? <laughs> it was the first one too. So I hope they have more. Um... But yeah, that's what I was saying. It's really interesting to see what they really what they really know. And my hope, my thing is, like, I don't think they know the extent of URI. And I'm not saying that we know a ton either. I'm just, but it's just that hard to like know so much just because of how big the space is. And I hope they have people who are guiding them well in their decision making or advising them, advising them well. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, that's all like, that's all you can hope, right? Like you, I really wish that politics was more of like, I am just, I am just an organizer. It does not matter what my views on something are. What I do is I take, I figure out what the views of my constituents are. And then I assemble a panel of experts who decide the best way to affect the change that you, my constituents want to see, but that's not how end up things working. That, that's not how that, things end up working. Everything is so partisan nowadays. That'd be so great if every if other leaders were saying, oh, I'm just a person, but I have a great team. And let me tell you about each of my team members. Like, yeah, that's, that's I'd vote for you. Then like makes sense. You're not taking all the credit. You have a team who's actually helpful. That makes sense. But that that would require that people based uh, their hiring and their cabinet on um ability rather than politics and what actually happens uh, is they're like they're do political favors for people and people end up being the head of the um, department of education even though they have no idea what they're doing <laughs> uh slowly but surely we'll figure it out i really hope so but but now that yeah so again like you're in this crypto world you're living it you're breathing it you're working in it a lot of uh a lot of mental capacity goes into it what does Nixo do for getting out of crypto? Maybe just to take a break, meditate, I, I don't know, so, do some running. What I'm is it? I'm so addicted to, to crypto. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> stop thinking about crypto. I, I sometimes think about the fact that like this might be the workaholic stage of my life um, because I um, have spent time with friends I, I'm a crypto nomad right now, which means that I get to travel a lot and I get to visit people. And I, um, I find it actually kind of problematic visiting people because they're like, oh, okay, cool. You can come to my house and work. Um, and then after work, we'll go out and do this fun thing. Or like, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Do you actually want to go do this and this and this? And I'm like, do you ever? 
<laughs> I have a job to do. Um, and like the, my, some of my friends work like actual like clock in clock out jobs. And I was staying with one of them in Argentina last year. And at five o'clock she would be like, okay, what do you want to do tonight? And I would be like, it's my busiest I can, time. <laughs> I can still have a lot to do. Um, but I, so I, I try my best to, um, to be healthy. I have, um, I have found that no matter where you are, there's, there is going to be something to do, but you have to figure out part of the nomad thing is you have to figure out what the most appropriate um, thing to be doing to keep yourself healthy is. So like it changes everywhere you go. When I was in California, I was playing roller derby. Um, when I cool. was in the South, I did a little bit of jujitsu here. I'm doing a bunch of yoga. Um, and so it just, it, I guess the, the thing is like, find the, uh, the thing that works for you. And, um, right now the thing that's working for me is yoga and it's probably not going to work very long cause I get bored and, but then I'll <laughs> be out of this place by then and I'll find a new thing. That's fun. And it's good that you're finding the, whatever is, like you said, like whatever is healthy for you in the spot at the moment, cause it does keep that sense of, uh, new happening you're not i mean i guess practice is good repetition is good but also keeping things flowing keeping your mind active and keeping yourself feeling present you know is one of the things i loved about traveling is every time i go somewhere else it's a new feeling even though i'm going to a grocery store in this country a grocery store in that country the grocery store vibe is completely different i have to figure out how it works like even in europe i'm like oh i have to measure out my own fruits and vegetables in a bag and put it on the scale and then bring it to the register up front. I don't, I don't just bring everything up to register like we do in the States, which was funny. Yeah, I, I, I had to explain to someone a couple of months ago. Um, they were telling me, oh, just go to the grocery store and get this thing. And I was like, can you, can you show me? And he was like, what do you mean? Can I show you? Can you just, what, just go to the grocery store and do it? And I was like, look, I go into the grocery store in a foreign country. I don't know what any of the labels say. I don't know what are good brands or what are bad brands. I don't even know like what store brands look like. I don't know what's going to be available at grocery stores. I don't know like if this is a normal type of grocery store or if there are bigger grocery stores like further away that I should be going to if I want the cool stuff. I don't know what section peanut butter is in because no country <laughs> so except to for find. the U.S. It's so hard. Me too. <laughs> It's like the hardest thing to find. Like, why is this so hard? Is this peanut butter? Is this, uh, maybe not? I don't know. But it is not <laughs> with the jams it. in most countries. <laughs> but traveling and experiencing different parts of like cultures and do you make? Do you go to um like blockchain meetups around the area that you're staying at, or try to? You know, I I don't. I there were there were a couple of times that I've gone to blockchain meetups. My very first blockchain meetup was like a Bitcoin meetup in uh, 20, like early, early crypto. And I, it set like a bad tone for blockchain meetups for me because everybody was sort mm. of sitting there like, do you know how to make money? Do you know how to make money? Like, and it felt very much like one of those, like mom hosts the Tupperware party because like, it felt like a little scammy, like yeah, just everybody trying to, figure out how to join the, the MLM scheme in time. Um, and then as blockchain has uh, sort of matured a little bit, it's still a lot of the people who attend the meetups are people who are trying to figure out how to get involved. And I, um, I'll, maybe like not even necessarily, there's just so many people trying to get rich at these meetups. Um, and even though all I want to do is talk about crypto, I find that the the crypto people that I get along with best are the people that I'm already friends with online. Um, I, yeah. And so, <laughs> I have a, <laughs> like here here in Barcelona, I haven't gone to any blockchain meetups, and I literally came to Barcelona because I was like, oh, there's a huge blockchain community there, and I have mostly been going to comedy shows while I'm here because there's a huge comedy show scene. Um, and I thought about it yesterday. I was like, I should probably look up a crypt, like a, a blockchain meetup. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that because 
I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a hit or miss. Sometimes it's a lot of people who are building and excited to talk about their project. But then there you get the people like, oh, what are you investing in? What's your portfolio look like? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, why, why does that matter? Why, why are you asking me this? Just buy Ethereum and Bitcoin. And I will, it's fine enough. Yeah. I will say I did go to a bunch of blockchain meetups in um, Buenos Aires because they have a really um, strong crypto community. And they have a strong crypto community because they're experiencing hyperinflation. And like last time I went, I um, got connected to a guy who in, in Argentina, there are two rates for um, for money exchange. One is the bank rate. Mm-hmm. One is the blue dollar rate. The bank rate right now is like 350 pesos per dollar. But the real rate, the blue dollar rate is like 900 pesos per dollar. So in order to get that that conversion you have to bring cash with you and like exchange cash for pesos um and you can do that like with western union or you can just bring bills with you um so i i already knew that i brought a bunch of bills with me and i called the contact that i got um and i said like hey i can i give you some money i need some pesos and he was like yeah is there any way that you could use usdt i can teach you how to use it and i was like wait you take crypto and he was like, <laughs> let me <"Yeah."> teach you. <laughs> I was like, that is, yeah, I was like, that is way better for me. I could definitely yeah. do that. Oh, um, and for anyone who doesn't know, blue dollar is like the US dollar with a blue strip or looks blue because of the new ink. Because don't, I don't think they trust the old ink so much. Is that right? I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> I was about to go to Argentina I and I was no talking idea. to people about that. Yeah, they want that blue because the hundred dollar bill has a blue strip going down it, and that's the blue. Oh, that's where yeah. that comes from. Mm-hmm. That's the, very, the more you yeah. know in wholesome crypto. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there are, and they're like it's not just an Ethereum community down there. They have a really big Binance community, or like, I guess BSC chain. Um, and we're, we're all going to pretend that that's not Binance's chain. Um, and then uh, also Tron. There's like a lot of stuff happening on Tron and BSC down there. Yeah, I mean, compared to the pesos they have there, it's just whatever works and, and it's cheapest to transact with. It's sadly not Ethereum yeah. sometimes. Um, they got to do what they got to do. And it's, at this point, it's like survival for them. It's not even about like money is survival. Without it, they, it's hard to survive. And they need something that just works for their use case and they're not trying to have the nft of the future or this weird complicated algorithm of doing trades and collecting interest they just need money to move without it losing value tomorrow yeah um, exactly a, they use a, it because they require it yeah and it's a whole different sense than what i used to like that's why i love why i love traveling is america's relationship with money is like it's just we're so lucky to have it. We are privileged to have the US dollar as our currency. And we are privileged to have our banking systems, even though they're not perfect. Like I can, I can send you money electronically without any fees easily, instantly. You can move it to your bank instantly. Crypto as a money sense has not hit hard for Americans because the dollar works just fine, which is, yeah, which is hard to convince people of in the states. Where in other countries, it's like, no, fiat does not work at all. Like we need something better. Yeah, I I really liked. Um, an Argentine told me uh, that when he hears Americans criticize crypto, he tells them, "Yeah, you don't like it because you've never needed it." Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like that. <laughs> it's true, and that's why that's my biggest counterpoint with people who are trying to tell me that. Why do you need crypto? The dollars work fine. It's just, it's not for America. It's for the world. It's for everybody to work in a global system trustfully and like, well, I guess trustlessly, but also you can verify it and like permissionlessly use it as a global economy because that's what we do now. We're all global. Like half of America's products are made in China. Like we're servicing out uh, digital um, like work to people in India or Pakistan or other countries. And it's just, the America industry is very service-based. Like, oh, we'll tell you how to use your finances properly or this and that, but it's super global and, and it's not going to be pegged to the dollar, I think at least, but 
I kind of agree with you. Like we're, we are, the U S is, is killing its crypto industry so effectively right now. Like a lot of, a lot of the, um, effect is just becoming, is just coming out of scaring people. Like I, Eastaker, um, wants to launch a, um, a stakewise B3 vault, but like we're talking to lawyers about like whether that's a good idea and like, we kind of have an overwhelming yes, it's fine, but there are people who are just so nervous about it because they're like, I don't know, we're in the U.S. Like, is this going to be dangerous? Um, and I think that that is ends up being a lot of the industry right now because if you do something really benign, that's just like a cool tech endeavor. There's a chance that in five years you could get prosecuted for that cool node that you set up or the cool relay that you set up because you didn't realize what it was going to become. That's sad. That's sad to hear. And it's I hope, yeah. I hope it's it changes. Really sad. It makes me it it makes me want to emigrate. Like knowing that we are falling so far behind, um, and that we are losing these opportunities for the generations that come after us to live in a country that is the dominant world power because that's not going to happen if we don't dive deep into crypto right now because crypto is going to, I mean, I, yeah. I say that as somebody who's like largely biased because I work in crypto and like AI is going to be another big thing that the U.S. is definitely leaning into, but it's not as demonized as crypto is. But I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's a good thing for the U.S. not to, to be losing its footing because we are a questionably moral state and that's that's putting it positively <laughs> yeah i mean that's all point it's supposed to even the playing fields and right now it's not even america and other powerhouse countries are taking over but that's why they're so that's why they're the most afraid of crypto is because it's evening them out which is going lower you know being in this crypto world living in it working in it and then i also want to know something else is like what is your crypto pet peeve like some all the years being in it, something that really just <laughs> annoys the hell out of you. Oh, that is a good question. I had not thought of an answer for that. There's probably um, so many, even, but try to pick one. <laughs> even though I knew this question was coming. <laughs> um, I feel like we've already, we've already kind of covered one of my crypto pet peeves is influencers um, and people sort of overestimating the influence that influencers have um, on the, the things that they're shilling and, uh, and people giving credence to their voice without necessarily like looking at who's doing the actual building and who like even knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Let's go with that one. <laughs> it's a good one. And it's hard to know too, because there's so many good influencers out there too. I'm not saying they're it's hard. I don't want to generalize them all, but they're like slim pickings. Um, it's hard to find the good ones. And also when you become any like large, when you have like a large following, you're going to have people who are opposing your views. It's, it's natural. Not, you can't get a hundred percent approval rate. It's not, just not human. And I think that's a hard thing to always remember is the more you grow and the more you try to appease the whole or the mass, it's just not going to happen. And that's when people just start sticking to their to their uh sticking to their guns and how they want to be perceived and how they want to push their agenda but. yeah i thought of another pet peeve while while, while yeah, we were talking um i'm just gonna keep coming up with things that annoy me um <laughs> i like probably a year and a half ago posted this post in eat staker um asking for people who were who found themselves underrepresented in crypto to just reach out to me. And I got absolutely torn apart on the eStaker subreddit. And like most of the comments were like, this is crypto. We're just node operators. Like we're sitting behind a computer. What does it matter what color we are or what gender we are? Or like what our sexual orientation is like, you mm. are the one bringing weird leftist politics into this, even though we're all ones and zeros. And I I was polite in all the comments. I listened to people, but like, I just find that so annoying <laughs> because I I am a tomboy. My dad raised me as kind of like a nerd. He is an IT nerd. 
Um, I was out climbing rocks a lot because of the way that my dad like encouraged me to be outside. And like, I was competing with my brother all the time. And I find myself far more boyish than most of my um, female peers. And I now work in an industry that's male dominated and I can kind of see like everybody that's like on one side, like more feminine than I am and like all the boys on my right. And I know that I didn't have all the same opportunities as these boys, not necessarily that I had like fewer opportunities handed to me, but it's just that like, like girls aren't encouraged to go into computer science. If I had known, I didn't even know computer science. Like people ask me now, like, well, why didn't you do computer science in undergrad? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I ever considered it. I don't think I ever, like, I don't even know if my, my school had a computer science program. And I'm sure that if they did, it would have been all boys. And I would have gotten in there and felt like the one weird girl and like felt sexualized in that. And so like, it's like a really complicated process that, that leads um, women or people of color or whatever to have fewer opportunities. And because it's not someone standing at the door saying like, you can't come in these people who have always felt welcome in those communities are like confused. And they're like, what, we're not keeping anyone out. I don't know what you're talking about. And like to willfully blind yourself to that, just because you're like, Oh, I don't want to deal with politics. It's like, okay, well just don't participate when somebody makes a post asking somebody to reach, like you didn't need to say anything. <laughs> like you're not that's a true. part of that group. You're not affected by this. Just leave it alone. <laughs> I think that's a very powerful thing is, not having to do anything it's what when people again when you're asking again it's, it's include as many uh unrepresented people or low represented people it's if you're trying to if you want that you can just say nothing okay it sounds like a great idea let it happen naturally or if you feel this i forgot what the word is but it's like you're trying so hard to prove your own point you're kind of proving the other person's point like oh no we we don't mind <laughs> we don't mind anyone coming in. Like, why would you ever think that? Well, the fact that you are defending your case so much is in itself showing that there is a problem because people are feeling like they can't join a community of like maybe computer science people just because it is male dominated. And it is a little scary to hop in that world because of what you said and having someone just, just simply suggest that maybe we can try isn't necessarily a, doesn't have to be like a bad or I don't know. It just doesn't have to be like a political thing. It just be yeah. Trying to solve and like you, include. You're you're right. It like completely it completely proves the point. Like if if you really didn't care, you would just not support the initiative. You wouldn't mm -hmm. jump out and attack the person. <laughs> it's it's again like that's the whole point. If you're trying to become someone of like influence or just you know growing in the ranks it's not everyone's going to agree with you and something to live with you know live, doing wholesome crypto i'm like shit like how do i be wholesome and honest oh <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm being as honest as i can but then i guess you have to like soften some blows just because you want to be wholesome then i had this whole revelation in my mind like, no like being wholesome is all about being very transparent honest and truthful without necessarily being aggressive or attacking so it's a it's a fun fun ride to live but <laughs> i'm enjoying this this podcast for that reason but that brings me to my last point is what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment something in the crypto industry that made you recognize its wholesomeness i'm gonna go with my my latest one um which was when I was at DevConnect, um, I uh, was the main, I was the lead organizer of the staking gathering at DevConnect. And so like my head was all over the place and I was like running to and fro, making sure everything was getting done. But I was really looking forward to it being done. And I had like signed up for a couple of other DevConnect events. And I was like, once the staking gathering is done, I can just enjoy myself. I can go to talks. <laughs> I can learn new things. I can learn about protocol research. And then the, the second day of the staking gathering, 
Tim Bako texted me and said, hey, uh, we need someone to talk about solo staking at uh, censorship resist or censorship.wtf um, on Saturday. Can you – I know it's really last minute, but can you give a talk? And I was like – and Baker just asked me to give a talk. I can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it, but damn. But also, like, yeah. But also, I've never, like, the only other talk I've ever given was at Ethereum Argentina. And, like, I specifically chose Ethereum Argentina to give my first talk because I was like, no one knows me there. <laughs> if I screw this up, I'm never going to see these people again. And if I don't <laughs> screw it up, I can stay and hang out with them. Um <laughs> And I prepared for weeks for that. Like I, I practically had my my entire mem- prep, uh, presentation memorized. Whereas this one, like I had one day to practice it, and it actually it turns out I think I might present better when I have not memorized it. So maybe less pre- less prep is the is the key there. But anyway, so I gave this I gave this talk. I'm like pumped after the talk because i was like i gave it it didn't suck it It went well i watched it i watched it It went well i liked it i recommend people to watch it (laughs) um so i my adrenaline was so high and like when you're when my adrenaline is that high i am not like listening to people but um some guy came up to me afterwards and the presentation i know you saw it but it was on like why solo stickers are important to censorship why they're like sort of um a last fallback in censorship resistance um, and why they're super necessary to the chain. And afterwards, a guy came up to me and said, hey, um, I just want you to know that, like, I have been getting kind of bored of this solo state. I'm a, I'm a Genesis staker, and I have been getting kind of bored because I feel like maybe we were just being, like, really idealistic at the beginning and thinking that, like, Mm. oh, it's, like, solo stakers who can bootstrap this network and solo stakers who can run this network. And it turns out all these big companies are coming in and taking over, and I guess they're going to be the people who run the network. And so I was thinking, like, why am I even running this solo staker, um, this this validator anymore? And so he told me that, and he said, but I just watched this talk, and it gave me a lot of motivation and I'm like super glad that you gave this talk and he thanked me for giving it. And I just, now I'm sitting there like, wow, that was like, that was amazing. That was like the best feedback I could have gotten from that talk. Like Tim texted me afterwards and was like, you did great. And that doesn't even compare to somebody coming up and like being the people that I was talking about coming up and saying like, I feel like I was represented. Cause that, that was like the best feedback that I could have gotten from that talk. And of course, like, because my adrenaline is high, I was like, cool, man. Um, I gotta go. I gotta go. (laughs) Like I walked (laughs) away. And afterwards I was like, man, I wish I had talked to that guy a little longer. (laughs) Hope he hears this now. He's like, good. good. She did care. (laughs) Me too. I would, I would tell you his name, but I didn't, I don't want to dox him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's, I mean, I love that. I mean, Thank you for doing that. And thank you for representing Eat Staker community and giving it your all. It's definitely showing. And I'm happy to have had you on this podcast. I'm happy to have your story. I'm happy to like let people know that there is good in this world and there is like someone really vouching for them and trying. And I hope more people can come contribute to Eat Staker. And if they can be solo operators that'd be great if they can't there's other methods and still keeping up that decentralization but are there any things that you want to share that's coming up or where people can follow you contact you and what what they can expect yeah so we actually i just uh eStaker just announced today that it is launching um a dvt homestaker program and um i am super excited about this so one of the one of the issues with dvt is that like it lowers the um initial bond say like diva diva staking um lowers the initial bond to one eth so you can run a validator with one eth but like why the hell would you run a validator with one eth if you're only earning rewards on that one eth and you have to buy the computer in the first place which is like eight hundred dollars so um with a normal 32 ETH validator you can make up your rewards in like four to five months because you're making like 150 dollars a month in rewards but with one eth you're making one thirty second of that um, mm-hmm. And so ETH Staker is going to run a program where we basically we take 20 people 
and we teach them how to run a node. They buy their own hardware. We teach them how to run a node. We set them up, up set them up on testnet, and then um, like run them through the basics and what the fundamentals of staking are. And then they make their mainnet deposit. And then eStaker refunds the cost of their hardware. So after that, everything they're earning is is just pure profit. And I think that this issue won't be there forever because hardware is eternally getting cheaper. And we're looking into wait like the the Core devs are looking yeah. into ways to make um, the chain run on like lightweight, more lightweight clients. Um, it would be great if it like just ran on phones one day. Uh, but until that time, yeah, until that time, we want more node operators in more places. And like we know 32 ETH is a ridiculous barrier for um, people who are not in the US or Europe. Um, so DBT could be a really great thing if they didn't have to spend the cost on that hardware. And so I'm hoping that we get a lot of applicants to that because if we get um, good quality applicants who stick with the program and are able to make it all the way through the program, then, then, then we can have a second cohort of people and start churning out 20 uh, batches of 20 node operators at a time, which would be hugely, hugely great for the decentralization of the network. Hell yeah, also, we definitely. have a, a community call <laughs> We have a community call on smoothing pools tomorrow. <laughs> and so tomorrow's the 13th. This episode won't be out by then, but there's weekly community calls, isn't there? Well, <laughs> there aren't weekly community calls, but we have a uh, community <laughs> call on, on smoothing pools that's probably already been streamed on our um, eStaker YouTube channel. <laughs> so watch the recording. But again, thank you so much, Nixa, for coming on and sharing because we need more of you. And hopefully it's sticker community keeps growing and i'm gonna do my best to put my part into it too thank you so much for having me Rudy. this was fun <laughs>